Today's episode is brought to you by Slater's 5050 and The Brew Bar. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Another Edition. We have a couple of special movies for you today. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. With me is my fabulous co-host, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Tom, say hello to the good people. It's a damn cliche! (laughs) So, we decided to... Obviously, there are going to be plenty of sequels that or movies that have just a single sequel to them. But in the early 90s, uh, we had some I, I don't, I, just a double dip is the, really the only way to describe it, isn't it? Uh, we had a double dip of another sequels. We had another 48 hours and another stakeout. So uh, we're going to link them together by title. And we're going to talk about these two movies. And uh, at the end, we will most likely uh, be picking the se- the series we think deserves to have another sequel pitched for it. Does that sound about right, Tom? It does, yeah. When we, uh, I mean, I, I think when we uh, envisioned this, we thought, oh, they were just superficially similar. But, right. <laughs> um, these movies are identical in virtually every way. Um, they're both <laughs> they're both buddy cop movies that are equal parts comedy and drama. Their uh, storylines completely dovetail. Right. Um, they both start with an explosion, which I don't yes. know if that was an yes. early nineties thing. But uh, <laughs> so I think it's worth talking about these movies together. I agree. the The similarities between them and and in even in the ways in which they try to mirror. Their predecessors is right. kind of astonishing, isn't it? it absolutely, they, they both uh, they both they both feel like shot for same... shot remakes of the original movies. They both come with up with a lot of the same strategies for um, for coping with the fact that they're a sequel, um, right? Which is hilarious to me. It's it's like it feels like there's this real insecurity about it that we have to we have to get out there. Right. And the well, the most fascinating thing to me is, you know, we've talked before about, um, you know, bringing yeah. the cast back, that kind of thing. Everybody's back in these two movies. Everybody's back. We're talking about same writers, same directors. You know, all the actors are back. Maybe you add an actor here or there. But for the most part, everybody's back creatively and in front, you know, in front of the camera. Yeah. And it's uh, it's it's top of the line. In terms of the people involved in these movies, right? Uh, so you get a sense that they're all feeling slightly uncomfortable about the idea of, of making these movies. Well, uh, I am fascinated we to, to see. You know, and we, we we have to find some some way to deal with that on screen. Correct. All right. Well, for today's episode, we are going to first talk about the 1990 sequel, Another 48 Hours directed by Walter Hill, and a sequel to his 1982 film, 48 Hours. This movie had a budget, the sequel rather, Another 48 Hours, had a budget of 38 million people, or 38 million dollars. Uh, it grossed 80 million in the U.S. and 153 million uh, worldwide. So it was a success. 
Yeah. Eight years. Oh, that's a long time to wait. It for is a, a long time for a sequel. And, uh, you know, obviously we normally start every uh, series sequel or a series of sequels, um, ranking them and declaring them good or bad. So let's go ahead and do that, yeah. right? Let's do it uh, between the two movies, between another 48 hours and another stakeout. What say you? How do you rank them? Which one's the better sequel? Are we doing rankings first? Okay. Um, uh, yeah, it, I, it's there's not much in it, but because uh, they are the same movie. But uh, I, I <laughs> I'm gonna go uh, another forty eight hours, another stakeout. Oh, I'm relieved that for once we finally fucking agree. <laughs> if you had said another stakeout. I was going to leave the closet here that I am ensconced in now that you're and, proud and of travel me, to your home and murder can, you. Can I can I drop a bombshell that you won't be proud of? No god. <laughs> I want to I want to now that you're at this moment where you're finally proud of something I've said, I I want I want to use this goodwill to, to my advantage. To I have seen neither the original movies for these two movies these two scenes oh my god i have neither seen of 48 hours or stakeout oh i did there was never gonna be a good time to tell you but this seemed like the best one (laughs) that's i mean it's upsetting if for no other reason than both of those movies are sort of seminal for me. Like, I mean, they were movies that I loved so much upon the first viewing. I saw the original Stakeout at least six times in the theater. Like, it's a top ten movie for me. Huh. And 48 Hours, I felt the same way for a long time. The, the, the first 48 Hours is a little bit more problematic. There's just so much racism in it, but... And that's kind of alarming. Yes. Well, well, I got I got that much from the sequel. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, all right. We're for uh, you know we're gonna put aside this <laughs> terrible crime. And and I saw another stakeout in the movie theater. <laughs> Jesus Which I didn't think, I don't think is physically possible. Is it? Oh. Is, Anyway, I I just I feel we're delving deeper into the psychosis with each episode. All right. Yeah, uh, we're going to have to put that aside for now. For each movie, is it a good movie or a bad movie? Another 48 hours. Is it good? Um Uh, I, I, this, I know dead air is not great for a podcast, but um, but I'm I'm really struggling. I was with willing this. to I let feel, it go feel, as long okay. as it needed to. Huh? I was willing I to let need, the dead air go as long as it, it needed to, my uh, friend. It's it's a it's a it's a bad movie. But can I can I, can we do like a parenthesis bad, bad trash bad, as in that like so bad good? it becomes good. Okay, I'm gonna go good. All right. I'm pleased by that because I think it's a good movie. It's certainly not a great movie. I was totally, I'm totally on the fence. There are a couple of scenes, we'll get there, but there's a couple of scenes in this movie 
that I, I enjoy in such a dirty way it kind of tips it into good. Yeah, I think there's I think there's enough that works in another 48 hours to say, okay, I, I'm not pissed at the end of watching it. Another stakeout, that's a bad movie for me. At the end of it, I, I'm just so tired and annoyed. Uh, everything about it bothers me. Uh, uh, yeah, there. The, well, um, no, no, no spoilers in in saying I think uh, another stakeout is a is a bad movie All right. with a couple of good scenes. You're gonna have to tell me about them because I, I I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm not sure those scenes are f- actually from that movie. Oh, there you go. But <laughs> I, I, I genuinely forgot I was watching the movie uh, Another Stakeout at one point. All right. I can imagine that because they made a completely different movie, which you would mm. know if you'd seen the original, but you don't know <laughs> because but you But I haven't. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So... We've got the another sequels. Today we're going to be talking about another 48 hours. You know, if you'd seen the original, you know that this movie starts almost exactly in the same manner as the first movie. Uh, the first thing you're again, gonna, I intimated that. Yeah, the first thing you're going to see are the bad guys. You know, some some heavy heavy violence. What what struck you about the start of this movie? Uh, that it was a western. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Same uh, thing I mean, for we the just first finished movie. Back to the Future Three, right? And I, I was like, is 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 it is it just that all movies in the early nineties have to have some kind of Western pastiche in them? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much what. Um, there was so much Western imagery in that uh, that opening, so that threw me a little bit. I kind of thought, oh, well, maybe this is the this is, it's forty eight hours goes west in the sort of American tale tradition. Uh-huh. But uh, obviously it's not. And I think, you know, uh, again, we, we talked about this with Superman 2. We get a couple of different cold open-y type sequences in yeah. succession. There's there's definitely and, two cold opens. Yeah. So and when we get to the, the racetrack with Nick Nolte, which kind of, uh, as, as Jack, in like reintroducing... Uh, well, you t- you tell me is it, are one of those bikers in the original movie? Oh no, not none of them. <laughs> no. Oh, we re- we really they really make it out like this is these are characters that we've seen before. No, uh, you got Cherry Gans, who's the brother of Albert Gans, and Albert Gans is the 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 antagonist in the first Forty Eight Hours movie. But he wasn't in the but he wasn't a character or even mentioned in the first movie. No, the brother? No, not at all. That's ludicrous. I would never have But that's one that. of those tropes, you know? I mean, that's a that's a real solid movie trope of, like, you have a great bad guy in a movie, and at, at a certain point, as the sequels go along, there's going to be a revenge aspect for, for a family member, a brother, whatever. So there's a lot... Am I safe in assuming that there's a lot of retconning here? Like, it, the... the, the I, if I, from not having seen the original, it seemed to me that that this one, at least one of these bikers, was a character in the original movie, and that we'd heard of the Iceman before. Nope, had never heard of the Iceman. <laughs> so none of those things are true. The, correct. They're right. Okay. Never... Well, this this yeah. is this is why it's interesting to not have seen the original movie because I totally <laughs> bought that that 
that Nick Nolte spent the first movie going, ah, damn Iceman, I gotta get that damn Iceman, like, just just to himself while the movie was going on. Um, that's, the, that's the difference between the two movies to me, though. You know, it's this, this idea, I, it feels, um, I don't know, there's just something different in, in the 90s, um, you know, where you have to have the criminal mastermind element. Uh, as opposed to the first movie just feels like cops doing their job and come across a, you know, a a particularly villainous person, but it feels more procedural. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but, but we have a triple bluff, uh, about the identity of the villain later on in the movie. (laughs) Of course. I don't know if I've ever seen a triple bluff outside of the movie (laughs) Clue. (laughs) <laughs> that's bold yeah i mean it really it really is there you know they, they do the the uh, the switcheroo quite a lot and i think and we'll talk about this with another stakeout as well but uh obviously this the this opening the two cold open sequence one at a racetrack one at a saloon in the old west it seems well the funny part too is like I mean, there's nothing around that saloon. It, right. It's like complete and total desert. And then there's a building that's just a, a bar diner kind of a thing. Yeah. And you think, who made this business plan? And I guess I guess my other preconception <laughs> was that, uh, even though I knew the opposite was true, that Eddie, Mo- Eddie Murphy's not going to be in this movie except as a photograph. <laughs> For a little while, he's just a photograph. He would get top billing for the photograph. Yeah, I mean, I was t- I was tipped off by the fact that that the co-producer of this movie is Eddie Murphy Productions. Right. But apart from that, <laughs> well, a lot had flipped because Forty Eight Hours, the original, was literally his first film role. Right. And so Nick Nolte had top billing, and he had second billing. And then, of course, everything flips by 1990 because he's one of the biggest box office stars and he's top billed and Nick Nolte's second and he's producing it. Conceptually, right? That's the big selling point of this movie. It's like now now uh, the cop is in trouble with the law and the convict is a free man. Right. That's the idea. Yeah, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel that purposeful, does it? Oh, well, I'll tell you what else doesn't feel purposeful, the 48-hour time period. Yeah, for sure. Well, so here's an interesting fact about this movie. This movie originally was, it's like a 90-minute movie, and yeah. there was originally an hour's worth more of film, including a whole lot of backstory for Brian James, who plays Detective Kehoe. Uh-huh. I don't know if we want to give that up in the triple ending thing, but... Um, you know, he said it was one of the biggest, not problems, but one of the biggest disappointments of his career, how much they took out of, of this particular movie to try and make it, as we've discussed before, lean and mean. Yeah, and it, it is, it is, it doesn't outstay its welcome too much. It better not at 90 minutes. And I, that's, uh, you know, it, uh, it was a big mistake. With Superman 4, it was a big mistake taking that hour off. Here, I feel like that was the, the right move. Well, and that's the thing is that this movie, it feels very different than the original. And, and I can say this about both the another sequels. You know, both original movies have a quality to them where the comedy and the action blends better. Mm. The movies look different. They have sort of a muted color tone. 
Mm. Whereas these sequels both have that sort of oversaturated, almost looks like a cartoon coloring to them. Oh, yeah. Downright blurry. Yeah, that just make it, it like makes everything look less believable. You know, they walk into police stations and um, it looks like a set as opposed to a police station. That kind of thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think um, I think well, one of the reasons why this is the better another early nineties another sequel is that. Um, it uh i think the comedy and act- uh, the comedy and the drama blends pretty well or at least much better does- in another 48 hours than another stakeout yeah. for me at least if it doesn't blend necessarily like the the comedy is well judged yeah i like the gags i like the eddie murphy singing along to a walkman that we can't hear must have helped with the rights issues too um <laughs> i that's that's a nice gag nolte has some wonderful stuff comically um and i mean it, it what was it the case in the first movie and they're that, good together that, say again they they're good together they have an yeah. excellent rapport uh, and the naughty cigarette thing is that hammed up from the original or does he literally have a cigarette in every second of the movie in his mouth yeah he smokes an awful lot in the first one because i was in complete admiration of his ability to keep a cigarette in his mouth while he's uh doing everything Right. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful work. Well, we're talking here about another 48 hours. We're getting into the cigarette play of Nick Nolte. We're just getting started here. Stay tuned and we'll be right back, everybody, to finish out another 48 hours. Look. People, we're living in strange times. We know that, don't we? Of course we do. People don't even know what to do with themselves. We're getting stir-crazy. Well, get outside and get yourself some great food, I say. You need to go to Slater's 5050 and Point Loma's Liberty Station. It's time to treat yourself to booze, to beer, to burgers, and more. They have their full menu, people. Their full menu, I say. How many restaurants do you know that are doing that? Most places are doing a quarter of their menu, probably. Some might be doing a half. Maybe a few have got three quarters of a menu. But Slater's 5050 has their full menu, including their signature 5050 patty. It's half ground beef. It's half ground bacon. It's 100% delicious. What more can you possibly ask? Worried about social distancing? Well, it is in place, people. Tables are separated and the staff will always be seen wearing masks. You're out of excuses. Get off your keister and come on down to Liberty Station's own Slater's 5050. Outdoor dining available. Bring the family. Bring your dog. Come enjoy the normal again. Good day to you. I said good day. And we're back. We're here talking about another 48 hours. Um, We were just discussing sort of the beginning of this movie. Let me ask you this, Tom. Yes. One of the things that I think makes this the better sequel of the Another sequels, you know, you have two talented directors. You you know, Walter Hill is the director of both 48-hour movies. Yeah. And uh, John Badham, or Mm -hmm. Badham, is a director of both stakeouts. And these are two quality directors. I mean, John Badham is, you know, war games. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've got uh, 
Blue Thunder, which I think is a just a fine, fine movie. Agreed. And Walter Hill, I mean, he's been, just been around forever. You know, yeah. you see his name on everything. And a great writer, too. Great screenwriter. Yeah, and a really great writer. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing to me is uh, when I watch another 48 Hours, I feel like it's Walter Hill that is keeping this movie together. Do you, Did you have that sense? or? Um... I felt like he made it better than it should have been. I I I mean I yeah I I think this it's I don't know I think one of the best choices in the movie and I think it's a directorial choice is to not is to kind of like double down on the trashy exploitation side of this movie. Mm-hmm. And like one of my favorite scenes in the movie, well, there's, there's two. One's a moment, one's a scene. Is is the firstly the Cage Club. Yeah, I was sort of I was sort of drifting by this point in the movie. I was like, did I switch over to From Dusk Till Dawn? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's suddenly we're in we're in a like a, a biker club with cage dancers and this kind of. Uh, Tons of glass and mirrors. Psycho Billy music. I'm like, what? What's going yeah. on? And then there's this pink smoke coming out of the floor, and it, it looks like we're in a Hamahara movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, this moment, which I assume is a famous moment. If it shouldn't be, I'm happy to popularize it, where uh, a bike flies out of a pair of boobs on a movie screen. Yeah, in a porno movie screen. Yeah. And while, while these are things that, uh, you know, would, uh, for a lot of movies degrade them i feel this elevates the the movie enormously because you know you're always gonna have those ultimate trash moments uh even if the even if the rest of uh of the movie is not particularly remarkable uh or just has such it just has takes so long to establish that things are different now and then just resets to the beginning of mm-hmm. how things always were, as I understand it. I might be getting wrong here. Because <laughs> you have no idea. We spent so long trying to keep Jack and Reggie apart, uh, only to bring them back together again. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and I think there's a, there's a couple of things where, where I'm really, I really kind of... I, you can see Walter Hill as director and screenwriter kind of working together. They have like a, an exposition scene where Nick Nolte's reading police files, but they're doing it while uh, the car is speeding. Like as a mobile shot of the car speeding across San Francisco. Right, and then he throws it in reverse <laughs> just to drive. Effectively in the middle of a car chase. Yeah. And I thought... I, that's great directing and that's great screenwriting because you know you're not weighed down by exposition and you keep it moving right and you keep the pace of the movie up for this like dead weight scene well speaking so yeah there were a couple of moves i really admired from uh walter hill here yeah i felt like um he was trying to give the most to a lesser script the script, like I think you've mentioned, kind of wanders a bit. Yeah. You know, it's plotting about. There are lots of uh, sort of uncomfortable exposition moments. The idea, the, going back to the racetrack, you know, where the, the internal affairs uh, officer is saying, oh, the Iceman, eh, Jack? Been chasing him for years. Is that right? And he's right. like, yeah, that's right. God damn it. I'm getting close to these guys, you know? I've been chasing him for exactly the amount of time that this has not been on screen. On screen. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I get that sense. And I think one of the big problems is that they seem to have a bigger problem with letting the audience know that this is a sequel than, than, than we do. Yeah, right. As soon as you get on screen, they're like, oh, times change. You got a new haircut. Uh, things are as they... You You've know, lost a little weight. These, these lines of but you've got the same car. But we're in a sequel. Um, oh, it's like, you're in trouble with the law this time. You, there's numerous lines like this. And that's like, you're wait. I'm like, guys, you're wasting time. Yeah. Right. We get it. <laughs> yeah. I, we, I ain't a we know all no of this. I'm a free man. You know, that's, it's like, yeah, this is, the, this is basically like they're pitching the movie to us. Right. It's like, guys, we're on board. We came. We bought our ticket. We're, we're, we're in the theater already. We wanted to come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, there are, there are one or two moments where that's actually done in a delightful way. Uh, when Nick Nolte starts a bar fight. Uh, having just said, you know, let's not have a bar fight. Yeah. A damn cliche. And then immediately starts And then starts one. I'm like, okay, so that's Back to the Future 2 level kind of self-aware commentary on sequels. But the rest of the time, it's just like, it's just like we're feeling a little uneasy about doing all this again. How do we explain to the audience that, that it's okay that we are? Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I... I it, it feels like, you know, this this is also, it's trying to repeat something that in in the real world would never happen twice. Right. Like, and that's, These two yeah. people would never work, would never see each other again, work together again, and have similar adventures because of where they are in society. I mean, I guess that was the whole point of the original. Of the original movie, correct. <laughs> a convict and a cop working together in a buddy cop movie overcompensate i think yeah and so it it does it does pale because it does feel like you know reggie hammond getting out of jail you know it does feel like him having to work with jack cates again is like a hard wedge you know what i mean did we meet um because of the ice man if the ice man was this paranoid about like like the ice man would just have reggie hammond killed in jail he would have done it many many years ago or, you know, not spoiler alert, or just like lean over the desk and shoot him. <laughs> uh, so, while, while the other cop who's involved in it. Well, and that's the out. that's the interesting thing about this movie is like, you know, Reggie is in the police station several times. And then the character of uh, the Iceman, you know, let's just go ahead and say it's one of the cops. It's, it's you know. Jack Kehoe, who was in the first movie. Oh, okay, good. So there yeah. is some continuity. There, there is that continuity. The idea, but but it's also kind of a bummer, you know. He he just seems like a hardworking guy, <laughs> like in the first movie. He's just trying to help Jack out where he can. Well, he's so he's so uh, visually and orally like Nolte that uh, mm-hmm. I wish they'd have kind of made more of that. It, it's you know, it's like. It, there was no sense of like Jack. This could have been you if you'd taken a wrong turn. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, it, it, it's they're basically they're all cast from the same mold. The cops in this movie. What about on the on the convict side? Is Kirkland Smith in the original movie? Bernie. He's Casey? not. No, he's not. He, Kirkland Smith is new. And the interesting thing to me about this movie is every time I watch it, I think. Shit, man, like Bernie Casey might be the best actor in this movie. 
Like, oh, he's well, I mean, this so is the f- believable the first to me. Black Felix Leiter. You know, he's he is <laughs> yeah, exactly. African American acting royalty. And he shows Absolutely. it in this movie. He has he has some great moments. I think I think yeah. and that's why he he completely sells for me the idea, which I'm now learning is is not true. That um that <laughs> Kirkland Smith was like a was like a recurring character and that this idea of him getting uh his money to his daughter was like a a thing that Reggie was involved with in the first movie as well. Nope. <laughs> All invented. But it's so imp- it seems so important to both him and Reggie. But that's just right. the gravitas of Bernie Casey, I think. I well, that exactly right. I mean, he even has that line. I could get you out there, Reggie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I could reach out and whatever he says, rip your fucking throat out or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he is intimidating. Like, like you know, he's so good that if I was Reggie Hammond, yeah, I'd. I'd make sure to do that before I split town. Right. Yeah. I I mean it, it, I I think there and but I mean the flip side of that is, you know, when we get to Kirkland Smith's daughter who it turns out is the is where the money is going and it's not like a selfish thing, he's trying to pass it on to his daughter. Uh, right. Which is a nice twist, but it happens so late in the movie, we barely see this this daughter um and I think I think I'm going to establish a new rule where um we're only going to mention problematic representations of women and people of color if they don't happen, because I'm tired of making the same exact yeah. point every single time we do a movie. Yeah. <laughs> With this movie, it's it's Asian Americans particularly. Yes. When we get to Chinatown, we have that Asian horn uh, to tell us we're there. Um, that we on the soundtrack, and we have a lot of Asian people shouting, which again feels like a very early '90s thing. The action yeah. sequences that where there's a uh, an Asian American shouting in someone's face while all the action is happening. Well, and that's one of the interesting things about the first movie because you know Jack Cates, the character is, I mean, he's just filled with racial hate throughout the movie. He yeah. is calling Eddie Murphy the N word. Yeah. And, 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 you know, taking it further, like the, 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 the racial epithets that, that fall out of his mouth throughout that movie are like alarming and hard to watch. But at the same time, at the end of the movie, he has this moment where he says, you know, the N word, all that stuff I said, I didn't really mean it. I was just doing my job trying to keep you down. And Eddie Murphy looks at him and says, yeah, but that doesn't explain everything, does it? And he goes, nope. Hmm. And so you have this unusual, I, I would be curious to know what the actors think about that today. Right. You know, because it seemed to be the moment that brought them together in that first movie. And that's the interesting thing about this movie. By the end of the movie, Nick Nolte is, you know, Eddie Murphy is saying, man, I'm sorry about your friend. He goes, he wasn't my friend. You're my friend. You, you know, I didn't get a sense of any racial tension between them. Maybe um, uh, like in this in the frame of this. No, movie, it's not. I it's mean, not really present in this movie at as, all. Like, right? Yeah. No. So that seems a weird thing to that would just go away after eight years. Right. Yeah, but it, you know, it's because we're having these conversations now. It's just interesting to me this idea of 
all those things I said I didn't really mean. Uh-huh. And yet they're still terrible. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh no, I mean I I can I can see uh I can see that. I, I, but you know, if they're if they're talking about the fact that this is happening and that it's not okay, that's preferable to kind of casual underlying racism, which is what happens in this movie. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, like there are some social issues brought up in this movie. There are things we're talking about now, the idea about police. Yeah. You know, Jack Cates has this moment with the internal affairs uh, officer when he says, um, you know, I don't think police are above the law. I think we should have people checking up on us, but it should be civilian review. Mm. And so the idea of having cops checking up on cops. Yeah. And we're talking about that right now. And Eddie Murphy has this hilarious line where he says, if shit was worth something, Poor people would be born without assholes. <laughs> yeah, no, I I thought the same thing as well when the, the bikers were. There's a, a scene where the the biker gang are talking about how you know white people are slaves in this country. Poor white people are slaves. In yeah, this right. In front of a in front of a black guy. In front of a like black a man. Management black guy, and and the look on that guy's face is just priceless. It's fantastic. I mean, it just marks the moment perfectly. You know, if you want to be an outlaw, but you want to play by rules. Yeah. You know? And he's just like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Whatever. So there, there is a sense of, like, white entitlement. And he keeps uh, calling them hillbillies throughout the whole thing. Yeah. You know, the middle management man. So, yeah, I mean, there is there is a little bit of that, but obviously not as much as the original, and, and I think perhaps not. Uh, I mean, and it's it is you know it's a sequel trope I think to to just like not not be as edgy as your original for the sake of like you know people when when you be when you pleasing like to more people with the characters yeah you can just you know um, resolve some of the difficult stuff right. Uh, so that you know, this is Ghostbusters two in in for grownups. There you <laughs> <what> go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're talking about another forty eight hours. We're gonna take one more quick break, and then we'll be back to wrap it up right after this. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. 
It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back. We're finishing up talking about another 48 hours. Uh, we kind of referenced this earlier, Tom. Let's talk about the end of the movie. One of the things I think works really well for this movie. For one, we haven't talked about those two biker villains. The one who plays Albert Gans's brother, Cherry Gans. Um, his name's Andrew Devoff. In particular, I think he's a good villain. He He's kind of menacing. I really liked him in this movie. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think this was another instance where, like Bernie Casey, I thought he was a character from the original movie and that we were kind of following his revenge story, which we are, but no one's right. ever seen him before. He, he He's the needles <laughs> yeah. of this particular franchise. It's like, who the fuck is needles? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, absolutely. I, I, I thought he was, yeah, there was a kind of like a proto- sons of anarchy kind of vibe about them all um, yeah they're actually it's actually really uh so the original villains are bikers no <laughs> no <laughs> every guess not. i've had about this movie has been wrong based on the sequel uh in the original movie his brother um was in a gang with reggie hammond so they were all working together they robbed the apparently the Iceman, not that that's ever discussed <laughs> in the first movie. It turns out. But they robbed what they called, what they robbed, who they, in the first movie, they say they robbed a dealer. Okay. And, and then you learn that, you know, the sort of trope of, oh, he's got a brother and, and, you know, he wants revenge and, um, boy, does he. And it all. Yeah, no, he's, he, he's, he, you know, while he's attacking them, he's like, you killed my brother, pig. Yeah. So I was totally sold on that he was like the the kind of Hamlet figure of of this of these movies. I'm interested to find out that he only appears in this movie. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm starting to love now that you have not seen the original. That's really funny. Yeah, it's 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 very yeah, and I think uh, we like we get we're, we're getting to towards the end of the movie now and. Um, you know, I even had in my notes, you know, was this cop in the original movie? And I guess it, that makes more sense that you kind of subvert your expectations. Well, which about. one are you talking about? Are you talking about the, the Edo Ross character or the Iceman? Okay, yeah. That's like a... So, yes, Brian James, who plays Ben Kehoe, was in the original. Edo Ross, who plays Frank Cruz, was not in the original. And there wasn't any IA officer either in the original we were discussing the triple cross so let's go ahead and discuss that now you know the audience is made to believe that the ia uh agent is the ice man and that turns out to not be true right um what's that actor's name kevin teague i yeah, believe from he plays One. blake he's wilson um, yeah he's fantastic yeah it's i i mean this 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 movie tries to side sidestep as many expectations as possible Earlier on in the movie, they want you to believe that they killed off both Nolte and Murphy in the same scene. In, yeah, in the same, in, in, inside of three minutes. Right, which would have been interesting. I mean, that would have been a way to go. Mm -hmm. You know, like the two completely different cops start investigating that crime, and that's what the rest of the movie's about. Roll credits. <laughs> I mean, people oh, would funny. have walked out, obviously. Yeah. 
But in the Triple Cross, we're, you know, so we're made to believe that that, that the IA cop, Kevin Teague, is, is the Iceman. Yeah. Then we're kind of just, it almost feels like you're flat out told that Edo Ross is him. Yeah. Um, and they go to the Cage Club to find out that Brian James as Ben Kehoe, who you know from the original film, is the Iceman. And they have this glorious shootout mm-hmm. that I just think is so much fun and has... One of my favorite stunts I've ever seen in a movie. Like I would, I almost would say this is a good movie based solely on that stunt when Cherry Gans goes out the window and hits the water truck. Wow, yeah, spectacular. I think it looks fantastic. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen on film. I just love it. And the, you know, and they they shoot um, they shoot Reggie in that scene in a way that suggests that he's not going to survive the movie as well for for a few seconds. So yeah, they're not going to let you hang out on that limb for too long. No, that's that's correct. And I I get this like uh, it'd be interesting to talk about compare the endings of these two movies, because with this one, I get the sense that when they after the shootout, they're so pumped for the idea that that they're going to make another one of these movies with these two characters. Yeah. And there were plans. They just kind of fell through. The boys are back in town. Right, which was a song created for the original movie. Ah, okay. And then they brought back. So it was created originally for just for the 48 Hours films. That's one thing I really like about this movie. Like The, the instrumental music is all from the original movie hmm. and still works. I think it's really great music and sets a great mood. You know, of course, we, we have the big shootout at the end. And then um, Jack Cates, who has always, who, who had, you know, just prior to this, told Eddie Murphy, like, between you and me, I've always been straight. I'm a, I'm a good cop. Like, I don't, you know, I don't cross the line. And then, of course, at the end, they take the drug money and say, well, we'll talk about it at the hospital. You know? Right. There's a sense of there's a sense of an enthusiasm about going forward, which is carried yeah. to the end of the movie, uh, which I really don't get from no, the No, no, yeah. Um, but it's, it's like, it's that sort of, this... It's it's misplaced enthusiasm, and I, I this is something I think we're going to talk about a lot. The sense of like, it's like okay, we got through the first sequel, you know, it's plain sailing from. We're going to make a, a bunch, bunch of these. these yeah, exactly. Just going to keep getting better and better. <laughs> it's, and that's what I feel from the end. It's of this all movie, downhill like, from here. You know, it's like where could Eddie Murphy's career go from here but up? <laughs> And it is. I mean, I, I, I was. It was a while into the movie before I was like, so, this movie in terms of Eddie Murphy's career is closer to Boomerang than it is to like trading oh, yeah. places. But that's. I mean, he's he's good. He's good in this movie. But is it like the beginning of the end for him? No, because I mean, he had plenty of hits in the '90s. You know, I don't think it was till the late '90s that things started. You know, because he did the Nutty Professors and Bowfinger. I mean, you know, he did he did stuff that people went and saw, to say the least. But um, yeah, you know, there's just something about uh, these '90s movies and these two sequels that, um, well. We'll be talking about another stakeout. For me, you know, it just falls apart in that movie. That doesn't really happen here. It doesn't fall apart, but, um, you know, it, it, it lacks by comparison. 
Is there anything else you feel you must add to another 48 hours? Or have we <laughs> wrung this towel out as much as we could? Well, I, oh yeah, the, the, yes, I, I wanted to remind, well, another, I think another moment in the movie that both elevates and degrades it simultaneously is when Nick Nolte is packing his desk when he thinks he's going to be away yeah. from criminal trial. And uh, his two... Um, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. His two, the two items that he picks to treasure among all, among all his possessions. One is a, like a policeman's award. Okay. The other is a pen with a naked woman on it that takes her clothes off when the ink drains. Yeah, when you turn it upside down, the, her clothes drain. And I think that's, that's beautiful that, that like those are the two items he prizes from from this, what, 15, 20-year career as a police officer. <laughs> and Nolte is exactly the person to act that scene. I don't think you would have accepted Agreed. it from anyone else. All right, that's it for another 48 hours. I don't think we could say any more. <laughs> Literally nothing. So stay tuned, and uh, our next episode will be another stakeout. Take care, everyone. Be good.